2: Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that
1: which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 91 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to look at the next two episodes of Super Friends, the uh, first season which aired in the 1973 and 1974 season. I'll be covering uh, the episodes entitled Professor Goodfellow's Geek, G-E-E-C, and I'll get to what that stands for during my coverage of the episode. And The Weathermaker, that's episodes three and four of the, let's call it, Season 1 of the overall Super Friends cartoon, this is the season entitled Only Super Friends. There will be multiple different titles for every season as we go along, along with format changes. And, as promised, I will get to those in due time. But before I get into this week's episode, I have some feedback to address. The first of which is from Dave McElvenny. And you no doubt saw this on the f- Facebook page. It's been a couple of months ago by the time you hear this, but only a few days from me as of when I recorded this. But Dave has sent me a... Uh, basically a coffee mug of uh, Superman with some very nice uh, Kurt Swanard, and uh, I just wanted to uh, express my gratitude toward uh, Dave McElvaney for sending me that. As I said on the Facebook, I don't do this to get stuff from people, but, you know, it's good to see that people, you know, are enjoying the effort I'm putting into this podcast enough to send me something. So, again, I would like to thank you, uh, Dave McElvaney, for sending me that. It is greatly appreciated. I haven't used it yet, and I... Don't know if I plan to. I have a regular Superman S-Shield mug that I drink out of quite regularly, and I don't know if I want to uh, dirty this one with uh, tea stains, but, you know, especially since I have so many other mugs I can use, I might just keep this one around as kind of a decoration. So, with that being said, I just wanted to thank Dave for that, even though it's probably like 10 weeks ago by the time uh, Dave actually listens to this, but thank you, Dave. And uh, I'm also going to thank Dave for sending in this week's feedback. Dave is writing in on episode 81 in which I talked about the Filmation Superman cartoons. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I thought there was more in the Wisp of Wickedness than perhaps the writer intended. Consider, the alien scientist dies in an experiment gone wrong and his quote-unquote spirit or quote-unquote essence ends up going to Earth. Since it seems to cause the people quote-unquote possessed by the spirit contained in the hat to commit evil acts, we may assume that the scientist was evil to begin with. Does this mean when the evil alien died, his spirit went to Earth, that Earth is Hell? That's probably a deeper question than was intended, or that the kid viewers at the time would have considered, but it makes a bit of sense. And I'm going to hold Dave's uh, letter there, and I just want to mention that, you know. I just want to address some of the points he uh, made in the uh, first paragraph of that letter. A lot to unpack there. I'm not necessarily sure that his... uh Essence traveling to Earth makes Earth hell. There was uh, something I watched uh, within the past uh, 10 or so years that kind of addressed that. It was this direct to DVD feature. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the television show Babylon 5, but it's one of my favorite science fiction television shows. After, but after the series uh, finished its run in the 90s, you know, it tried to, the creator J. J. Michael Straczynski, who had a rather dubious run on Superman, but, it, but is the author of the, uh, Much better three uh, Earth-1 graphic novels. He wrote this story where... And it's not part of the main series. Like I said, it's a direct-to-video thing meant to kind of keep the franchise alive. The uh, anthology series didn't go beyond the first uh, disc. But the gist of the story was that this fallen angel had uh, possessed uh, this guy on Earth. And it kind of put forth the uh, proposition that when angels were cast out of heaven, they were sent to Earth. Which would make Earth either hell or purgatory. You look at some of the things going on in the world these days, and you know, it almost seems like Earth is hell, but, you know, no. I prefer to believe it is not. And I'm not necessarily sure the alien died, I don't know, maybe whatever he was working on turned him into a being of energy or something, and he inhabited the people. I will say this, that I do believe that the scientist was evil, because if he were not, he would not be making people he possesses do evil things. Some food for thought there, but no, I definitely don't believe that Earth is necessarily hell. And Dave writes, that's probably a deeper question than was intended or that the kid viewers at the time would have considered, but it makes a bit of sense. And yeah, Dave, I'm going to agree with you there. It does make a bit of sense, but you know, as I was watching the episode, I didn't really think of that. Maybe I was just caught up in the story, but no, I did not consider whether uh, Earth was hell or anything else of that ilk. Back to Dave. I also noted that Superman's comment about the wisp. I don't seem to know what it is, but I intend to find out. He doesn't really seem to try to find out, he just freezes it and sends it off into space. Yeah, there's that too. He freezes it, sends it into space, you know, hopefully it never defrosts. Cause stick Dave on pause again, uh, yeah no, he doesn't go and try to find out what it is and uh hopefully the next guy isn't too burned but by that. So back to the back to Dave's letter. In Superman Meets His Match, if the creature from Krypton arrived on Earth containing inside a Kryptonite meteorite, why didn't the Kryptonite kill or weaken it? And why didn't Superman try to use Kryptonite to defeat it? Of course, if it was Kryptonian creature, how did Superman knock it out by hitting it with a tree? In the Superboy story, The Great Space Race, once again we see Superboy making a mistake, correcting it, and probably learning something from that, which is one of the things that distinguishes the Superboy stories, at least the better ones, from Superman stories. In Brainiac's Bubbles, we get to see multiple Brainiacs, which is something we generally didn't see in the comics. Interesting. I kind of like that. The title of this segment reminds me of Michael Jackson's chimp, Bubbles, and the fact that in his original comic book appearance, Brainiac had a space monkey. But that monkey's name was Coco, not Bubbles. Thanks as always. Live long and prosper. Dave. Yeah, just a quick uh, few comments on the way Dave ended his uh, letter there. No, I have no explanation as to why Kryptonite didn't kill or we can know why Superman didn't try to use Kryptonite. I'm not necessarily sure he'd want to try using Kryptonite. I would imagine he would stay away from that as much as possible and not use it if he could avoid it. And I really don't have anything to add about the great space race or Brainiac's bubbles. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with Professor Goodfellow's Geek. Hang around, folks.
3: Love him or hate him, everybody's got something
1: to say about John Byrne. He ruined the X-Men when he
4: left.
5: That John Byrne, he's a sexist pig.
1: The only thing bigger than John Byrne's ego is... Oh, wait, there isn't anything bigger than John Byrne's ego.
4: John Byrne, oh, he,
3: he just draws the greatest butt on Superman.
4: It looks so good.
6: John Byrne is the greatest artist I've ever seen. Wait, who is he?
1: John Byrne's 1986 Man of Steel series gave us the core reimagining of Superman that is still with us today. Third degree Byrne. A podcast about all things John Byrne the good, the bad, and the legendary. Join Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes as they look over the nearly five decades' body of work of one of the most influential comic book creators in the last 50 years. Their degree, Byrne, can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com and on iTunes.
3: I've got a question, though. I just am curious. Why doesn't Green Lantern have any junk? It's gone, it's red.
1: Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to start things off with Professor Goodfellow's Geek. The original broadcast date was September twenty second, 1973 and our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com Your number one source for Superman information on the web. A test pilot finds a plane he is about to test, flies off, and performs routines by itself. Machinery begins performing without anyone. The Superfriends, accompanied by a government representative, are escorted to Professor Goodfellow's headquarters. He shows a massive computer, the Geek, Goodfellow's Effort Eliminating Computer.
2: Welcome, welcome. I'm Professor Goodfellow. It's an honor to meet you all. Please accept my apologies for the little
0: pranks I played today. Pranks is hardly the word, Professor. You've got the whole country in
2: a turmoil. The government is very concerned about your little pranks. I had to do those things to prove to the government that the geek works. The geek? What is that? Ah, the world's biggest computer. I want to donate it to the government as a gift for the benefit of all people. What does this computer do? By remote control, the geek can perform every job that is done by men and women. My purpose is to free mankind of all physical labor, brain work, and responsibility. You mean no one would have to do any work? That's impossible. No, no, that's why I brought you here, to show you it is not impossible. Please, follow me.
6: Hey, wait for us. <laughs> Professor, why do you call it the Geek?
2: Well, its full name is Goodfellows Effort Eliminating Computer. G-E-E-C, Geek. There it is, gentlemen. The Geek. Holy brain busters. It's gigantic.
0: Very impressive, Professor.
2: I'll show you how it works. This control bank operates all types of transportation, everything from bicycle to spacecraft, communications, telephones, television, everything. The Geek is programmed to handle all business matters, buying, selling, advertising, filing, typing, bookkeeping. Fantastic. These controls can run every factory machine in the land. No need for factory workers. Wow.
0: Farming, eh? I guess the geek
2: will run the tractors and let the farmers take a rest. They deserve it. Everybody deserves a rest. That's why I built the geek. Since the beginning of time, men and women have had to work hard every day to survive. But now, with the geek in control, nobody will have to work, not even housewives. What will people do all day? Why just sit home in their geek-built houses, eat geek-prepared meals, and spend the whole day watching movies and sporting events on their geek television sets. Hmm,
6: but that means actors and athletes will still have to do their jobs.
2: No, no! The actors and athletes won't be real people. They'll be electronic images programmed to go through the motions of a play or a variety show or an athletic event. Hey,
4: imagine! Joe Namath can sit at home and watch himself playing a football game that he never
2: really played. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. No one will have to wear himself out doing a job of work. The Geek will do it all. Well, how about his school kids, Professor? Aha! Uh-huh. Let me show you. Every child will receive school lessons at home on his Geek TV. There'll be no need for schools or teachers. No schools? No teachers? Wow! Groovy! It's a
4: miraculous machine, Professor. I'm greatly impressed.
6: You know something, though? Even if I complain sometimes about homework, I really enjoy school. I'm gonna miss going to classes, being with my school friends.
0: Gentlemen, I think Wendy has just made a very important observation. She has shown us the basic fault of the geek. I know you mean well, Professor, but your computer can be a bad thing for people.
2: That's right. Everybody, even young kids, should have responsibilities. I agree.
0: It's good for people to work, to use their brains. If they don't, they'll have no purpose in life. But, but
2: I, I, I... Mr. Huggins, the government must accept my gift. It'll be the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind. Professor, I'm afraid I agree with the Super Friends. The government will not involve itself in Project Geek. All right, then. I'll offer free geek service to the public. Anyone who wants to subscribe can have himself a permanent coffee break. And you can't stop me.
0: No, we can't. It's not against the law. But let me remind you, Professor, the Geek is just a machine. It has no heart, no soul. If there should be a mechanical breakdown, it could go haywire and do a great deal of damage. That's true. The Geek has no natural instincts. It wouldn't know that it's
1: causing danger, doing harm.
2: Nothing can go wrong with the Geek. Good day, gentlemen.
1: And soon, most people, including Marvin, are using the service and living sedentary lives.
4: Hi, Marvin. Doing your schoolwork? Oh, hi, Wendy. No, my next class doesn't come on until 2 o'clock. Math. Ugh. I hope this movie will be over before then. Hey, I've
6: got a super groovy idea. Let's all go for a walk in the park.
4: A walk? You mean, like, really walk?
6: Yes. The exercise will do you good.
4: Exercise?
6: What's that? It's what you haven't been getting any of lately. Now, come on, Marvin.
4: Gee, I can't, Wendy. I promised my mom I'd finish mowing the grass. See?
6: Oh, you poor thing. You've really been straining yourself.
4: The geek is taking care of that. Let's go. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I've been in this thing so long, I forgot how to get out of it. I... Oh wow! I think that was enough exercise for one day, don't you?
6: No. Now come on, let's get Wonder Dog.
1: Wendy and the Super Friends remain skeptical about how safe the Geek is.
0: Well, Super Friends, there's no doubt about it. Professor Goodfellow's computer is running smoothly. Yes, it's performing millions of tasks. Big jobs and little ones.
2: Without a hitch.
0: I must admit it's a fantastic machine.
6: I think it's a terrible machine. Well, gee, most of the geek people are getting lazy and sluggish. They're becoming vegetables, like plants on a
5: windowsill. They just sit there and wait for the geek to feed them and take care of them. Wendy's right. They don't have to use their brains for anything. It even seems that originality, initiative, and ambition have gone out of style. Right. Nobody's got any get-up-and-go.
2: The only thing
0: we can hope for is that they'll grow tired of the geek life. Yes, Professor?
2: Well, Superman, my geek has made the world a happier place to live in. As I told you, it's a marvelous machine.
0: The Super Friends congratulate you, Professor. It's been working perfectly.
2: Of course. I'm sure you've heard no complaints from the public.
0: No. Not yet.
2: Not yet? What does that mean, not yet?
0: Professor, what will happen if an intruder sneaks into your building and tappers with the controls? Or if the machine breaks down by itself?
2: (laughs) Intruders, breakdowns? Impossible. Come visit me and I'll show you why. And bring your young friends. Goodbye.
1: The Geek seems foolproof until a mouse slips into the system, causing a malfunction. While Superman is busy preventing automated disasters, the heroes warn the Professor.
0: Turning it off hasn't solved our problems. There are vehicles out there flying blind. We've got to repair this machine in order to bring everything back under control. I... I don't know what
2: caused the trouble.
0: There's your troublemaker.
2: There's a mouse in the electronic booster chamber. Hmm, cute little thing. Why, the only way we can get him out of there is through a narrow tool. And it's ten feet long. We'll just have to rip this wall apart.
5: If we destroy these controls, Robin, we'll never be able to bring the outside world back to normal.
0: This is the hole he crawled through, and it's ten feet long? I'm afraid so. Well, I know someone who can reach that mouse. Plastic Man. You're right. I'll be back in a flash with Plastic Man.
1: Plastic Man is called in to stretch an arm through an access tube. Thus, the professor and Marvin learned the risks of a fully automated life.
2: Super friends, you were right. I must admit that geek life was pretty dull. I like it better the other way, when the streets were full of interesting people, all busy going to work, shopping, building things. That's right, professor. Human beings
0: can't be happy unless they have something to do. An interest in life.
3: Yes, we learned that a lot
4: of geek families were beginning to get on each other's nerves. They were bored. Me too. You know, I miss going to school, even homework. <laughs> well, maybe
2: not homework so much, but I get the message, kids. I think it's better that children go to school, a real school. Education is more than just memorizing facts and figures. Real education is learning how to get along with people and how to use your brains and abilities to accomplish things by yourself, to contribute something to society, to your fellow man.
0: That's yeah. very true. <laughs> And to your fellow dog.
2: Mr. Huggins, I see now that the world should not be controlled by one machine, any more than it should be controlled by one man. I'm going to dismantle the geek into many small units. The government will be very happy to receive that news,
1: Professor. So yeah, this uh, episode is kind of uh, what you would expect from uh, this kind of episode. (laughs) You know, uh, how many times have we seen stories where... Humans have become lazy, and because machines have taken over their every need, the movie Wally comes to mind, where the robots uh, do all the work, and the humans just kind of sit around and get fat. A couple of quick notes about the episode. This is the first appearance of Plastic Man in the show, and he kind of comes in at the end, kind of provides a uh, Plas ex machina. We learned that the Hall of Justice has a second floor, and what I like to see is that Aquaman rides a seahorse. You know, for all the damage, I believe, uh, the filmation cartoons did the Aquaman, including the uh, dolphin jet skis that are uh, such a famous gif these days. I really like the idea of Aquaman kind of riding on a seahorse. There's something uh, noble looking about it. So this episode starts out at the airport with a test pilot uh, being wished luck. I know there's no Green Lantern yet in this series, but for all intents and purposes, this test pilot could have been Hal Jordan and nothing would have been lost. Either way, uh, someone in the plane is doing all the test maneuvers, you know, loop to loops and all that kind of stuff, putting the plane under... All kinds of stresses, it passes this test with flying colors, and when it lands, we find that there is nobody in the plane. The plane just kind of took off by itself. And in the Hall of Justice, I'm noticing the logo on the Trouble Alert looks familiar. I wish I could place it, but I don't know. If you know what that Trouble Alert uh, logo that we see in the cartoon uh, looks like, I mean resembles, just uh, let me know. Because it's really starting to bug me. I feel like I've seen that logo before and not on a Super Friends cartoon. So Marvin and Wendy are seeing a bunch of machines working on their own and the Super Friends have not bothered to show up yet. But when they do, they all show up so fast. And I always wonder how Batman and Robin just appeared out of nowhere along with the speedier versions of the heroes. Even Aquaman would have trouble appearing that quickly. And something else I'm trying to figure out. Why do outsiders call them the Justice League and internally they refer to themselves as Super Friends? And while it says Hall of Justice on the outside of the building, the narration is still referring to their headquarters... Which, I, as I mentioned last week, is based on Union Station in Cincinnati. The narrator still calls it the Hall of the Justice League. It hasn't been shortened to Hall of Justice quite yet. So, they're all on the road. The Batmobile is malfunctioning and uh, it's being taken over by the computer. Superman shows up and, in an interesting twist, uh, refuses to stop the Batmobile. Because it's going to take it to the compound guarded by robots. And that's uh, quick thinking on Superman's park here. If he figures why stop it. Nobody appears to be in danger. And he figures it's going to lead them directly to where they want to go. And that brings us to Geek Headquarters. So now, uh, as Marvin and Wendy and Wonder Dog are leaving the Hall of Justice League, Professor Goodfellow shows up in a pink Funmobile. At least we think Professor Goodfellow's in there, but... what What we find out is that it's a driverless van asking the kids to come into the Funmobile.
4: What's your problem, Wonder Dog? Strange. No
2: driver. Permit me to extend an invitation for you to take a ride in the Funmobile.
4: Where's that voice coming from?
6: I don't know. Who was driving this thing?
2: It drives by itself, but don't be afraid. It's perfectly safe. Who are you? Professor Goodfellow, please step inside. The Funmobile will take you to your super friends. They're waiting for you. Where? In my laboratory. I'm going to demonstrate the most fantastic invention in the world. And I want them to hear the opinion of some young people, like yourselves. Please, step in. Um, what's in there? All sorts of fun things. Television, movies, rock albums, games.
4: Um, anything to eat?
2: Everything you like. Ice cream, candy, popcorn, pastries, cotton candy, peanuts. Please, come in. Um, no thanks. But I have something of great interest to you.
6: Will you lead the way. We'll follow.
1: On our bicycle. How many after-school specials have told kids and teenagers not to get into the strange van? Just saying. So this is all kinds of dubious. And apparently every, everything they could ever want is in the van. There's ice cream and food and... If there were video games at this time, they'd be there too. Just basically anything that the teenage minds of, especially Marvin, could think of, the Funmobile appeared to have. Or at least said it had. And it's a way to entice him to get into the machine. But Wendy is the smart one, and uh, you know, she's not taking him up on it. She And they don't get into the van. They do the next dumbest thing and follow the van. This just can't seem s- smart. I mean, I know they're basically wannabe superheroes, but come on. Especially don't go by yourselves. So as the superheroes get to uh, Geek Head orders, the door locks behind them, and uh, Superman just kind of stands there like a stone statue, uh, telling everybody to relax. You know, by now, the uh, Junior Super Friends are there, Batman and Robin are there, and I think Aquaman is there at this point, too. And here we meet Professor Goodfellow, who is also voiced by Casey Kasem. The train of the year can tell, as he does sound similar to Robin. Yet, however, he has a round face and a gray goatee. He kind of looks like Mr... Uh, Miyagi from the Karate Kid series. And he invented the geek. Like I mentioned in the opposite, it is Goodfellow's effort-eliminating computer. And it's a supercomputer, and its goal is to relieve mankind of having to do any kind of physical activity. So apparently, this is the, the old story of machines doing everything for everybody. Like I mentioned before, it's kind of reminiscent of the movie WALL-E. Or kind of reminiscent of where kids today seem to be going with their lives, I mean... How many kids nowadays live sedentary lifestyles sitting at home behind the video game system? Yeah, I like playing the uh, the video game or two, but, you know, it's always kind of an unwinding thing. You don't see me or anybody I know kind of sitting behind it 24-7. You know, if I get in a half hour or so to play a video game, that's a lot of time for me. But kids in this episode can have all kinds of time to do a whole lot of nothing. And later on, they'll even go to school with the geek computer. I don't, if they don't have to do anything, why would they have to go to want to go to school? I don't know. They'll just want to sit around and watch movies all day. And you wouldn't believe it, but this thing is huge. It controls everything. Even bicycles, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about it. Those are mechanical things. They're not electronic. Not necessarily sure how the geek can control that. So there's a reference to uh, Joe Namath, the uh, famous quarterback of the New York Jets, and the who led them to victory in Super Bowl three in uh the late 1960s so basically what's going to happen to this computer is people are going to sit on their asses and do nothing all day so batman points out that the geek could be a bad thing and it's good for people to work and be useful and have goals and purpose that's even athletes and doctors by extension artists don't have to do anything i mean if an artist isn't going to do some kind of artistic project what's the point of being an artist what would people do if they didn't have anything to do you know what's that phrase the idle hands or the devils playthings, or something like that well, there'll be a lot of idle hands to, for the devil to play with, if such a if this geek thing has its way. And I mean, even me—if I had a geek, I would have to podcast. Would have to work. What would I do all day? There's only so much Lego Batman you can play. Trust me, I know. Usually, about half hour in, I'm kind of done with that. So, if I had to answer the question, of what I would do all day, the answer I'd probably sit on my ass and get fatter, which I'm trying to go in the other direction. When the super friends point out this danger, Professor Goodfellow gets indignant and plans to give away his service for free, basically because he can. So, I'm not sure how. giving his service away for free is capitalizing it on it in any way, but I guess he's going to do that to prove to everybody that his machine is horrible. So, a month goes by and almost everyone has taken the geek and there is nothing for anybody to do. I'm not sure how... Society could have been changed so quickly. It seems like a month is not nearly enough time for the human race of billions of people. There are about 7 billion people on the planet now. I have no idea what the uh, population was in uh, 1973. Or, But we have automated trucks making deliveries. uh, And to underscore how boring things are, there is a cop in a wooden dining chair sitting in the middle of an intersection reading the newspaper. Just rocking along reading the paper in the middle of the street. His job is to direct traffic, but apparently the geek has taken over that as well, making his job obsolete. It's amazing he showed up for it at all. No one has left their home because there's no reason to because the geek also uh, makes food deliveries. So See the problem here? Who's doing what for themselves? You don't have to worry about it being an, an economic class thing because Goodfellow gave away his invention services for free. So it's not like only the super rich could afford to pay for this. It was available to everyone. So, we also learned that the high school that Wendy attended was closed to Geek, and so is the gas station, and ironically, its owner, Slim, is fat and sitting in a big long chair. So, with time having passed, Marvin and Wonder Dog are lounging around in the backyard. The dog is in his geek doghouse, and he can't even be bothered to scare a cat. He just hits a little electronic console on the side of his doghouse and it simulates the sound of a dog barking, scaring the poor creature. You would hope that after a while the cow will get wise to this and not be so afraid, but a cat's a cat. A cat's going to do what a cat does. So Wendy wants Marvin to go for a walk in the park, but he's too lazy to do that. He's busy with his TV in the tree. I wonder how, I'm wondering how the TV is even getting power, but I guess Geek will take care of that as well. So Marvin's just lying around in a hammock, not wanting to move, but... Eventually he does, and uh, he kind of gets all twisted up. You know, he, in a cartoon fashion, he twists or spins around in the uh, hammock and eventually gets himself tied up in it. But he does get out when the thing tips the other way and just unravels him and drops him unceremoniously onto the floor. So again, more uh, slapstick from Marvin. And then one the Dog's doghouse gets moved by the lawnmower. The only reason he goes to the park is to get away from the runaway mower. So in the next scene, we see Aquaman riding a seahorse. I love seeing that. i said it before and I'll say it again. I'll say it as many times until people are willing to listen and show Aquaman riding seahorses far more often. Like I said, it just was graceful and noble and probably has something to do with the reason why I just love seahorses. Moving on. I mentioned before, it's just, it's far too short a time for Geek to take over this quickly. I mean, a month? How much can one computer really fully automate things in a month? Even if it was working on double time and around the clock. So now, with the electronics all damaged, the plane gets caught in a storm, but eventually self corrects, and this is when Professor Goodfellow calls the uh, super friends to gloat about how successful his machine is, but they disagree and uh, point out that the machine is basically sucking the life out of the people, and we don't see the people, at least not too much, we see the effect that this machine is having on Marvin, and he just doesn't want to do anything, and some people don't recover from that necessarily. Goodfellow is not worried at all about a mechanical breakdown or intruders. He has robots for the intruders, but no solution for a mechanical breakdown, which is something that you're going to want to pay attention to as we get further on in this episode. So eventually, the machine does start making mistakes after a mouse uh, kind of gets into the uh, wiring and causes some mechanical error. Marvin's homework goes from math to Abraham Lincoln to Columbus to Hiawatha. So something has definitely gone wrong, and the imagery shows... The mouse is wreaking havoc in the wiring, and that's probably what's causing all these errors. You know, one little mouse can get into uh, an electronic system and wreak all kinds of havoc if, uh, with or without meaning to, there's nothing to indicate here that the mouse means what it's doing, just it's in there, it's trapped, it's running around, and causing all kinds of havoc. So meanwhile, Superman has saved a smokestack from a wrecking ball, and now planes are going haywire, same on the road as appliances are coming back to life, and it's a funny moment where the taxi, the Junior Super Friends are riding in, chases the vacuum cleaner to Geek Headquarters. Aquaman navigates a geek tanker through some icy water, so, you know, just kind of wants to remind us that he's in this episode. Now that little mouse is causing all kinds of trouble, and now the taxis are going haywire, they end up... And Marvin and uh, Wendy wind up in a mud, a pile of mud. So as he's escaping from the car, Marvin, you know, in usual fashion, doesn't look before he leaps. If he did, he would have seen that the other side of the car just let out the dry grass. And I love the imagery here of what went... Asked why they weren't wet, one soul just pointed to his head as if he's telling Marvin to use his head. You know, in the early episodes, uh, kind of using your brain to get what you need accomplished, accomplished has been a very prevalent theme. And to be honest, so far in this episode, people have not been using their heads. So, Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman show up at, and the guard can't get through to the professor. Who only seems to get is the Mets-Dodgers game. Yeah, as a Mets fan, you know, as soon as I heard the word Bud Harrelson, I knew it had something to do with the Mets. I believe these were animated and uh, filmed and everything that had to be done in New York, maybe. But interestingly enough, it's both the Mets and the Dodgers. So even if the studio's in L.A. and, and they use a feature from a Dodgers game, it was still the Dodgers against the Mets. So Batman and Robin set a tree up for a catapult and to prepare a to launch Wonder Woman over the robot. Well, that doesn't work, so now they have to move on to their next crazy idea. But meanwhile, Superman has his hands full preventing disasters, saving boats and trains from collisions. He's busy. He can be of no help to anyone as he's trying to keep the uh, world economy from collapsing right in front of his eyes. And in this cartoon, I've noticed Superman uses the very similar away, similar to the way the filmation uses it, as he kind of says that and he flies away. Again, not necessary in this um, visual medium, but more so in the radio uh, TV show, which which doesn't have any visual to go with the voice. Just what the actors bring with them. And now for once, the smartest life form here is Wonder Dog, as he digs under the fence to get into the compound. Clearly nobody thought of that. Once inside, Wendy and Marvin see a blinking, uh, a bleep, a beeping warning light. And they figure that is the problem. So now the, uh, the kids are in the computer trying to stop the machine, but Goodfellow has released some defense robots that he's hoping will prevent them from meddling uh, as much as they're going to. Wonder Woman and Batman get in on a, get into the compound on a rope that, since just out of the reach of one of the robots, it's funny to see them slide down the rope and Robin refers to his circus act as a member of the Flying Graysons, so... Apparently, the Super Leap is one of Marvin's abilities. He can't jump 7 to 8 feet. However, Wonder Dog laughs when Marvin can't quite clear the fence. So now, the twist. I'm sure you saw that coming. And, of course, the uh, off button is in space in a satellite where nobody could get to it. And yes, this is very much a job for Superman. However... Goodfellow thought of that, and he put kryptonite in the satellite to keep Superman away. This guy is so hell-bent on using this device to help mankind not have to do anything, that he actually put the off button in a satellite where Superman can't reach it, because he knew Superman would object to it. That's dedication to to your invention, I'll tell you right there. And he thought of everything to protect it. So, Superman is going to get rid of the satellite with brain power, and one of the things I was thinking is that Superman had other ways to knock it out. Superman has long-range powers. He could have destroyed it with his heat vision. But instead, he throws a meteor at it and drops the satellite into the ocean. I'm not sure how the satellite didn't burn up on re-entry into the atmosphere, but it didn't. must have been made out of some super materials, as it defied the odd laws of physics there. The friction should have burnt that thing to a crisp and the switch with it. But nope, it made it okay. So it lands in the ocean, and Aquaman, you know, he, uh... It's the constant jokes about Aquaman talking to fish, but what he does is he summons a group of hammerhead sharks and they pummel the satellite until the switch is exposed. So they go back to Professor uh, Goodfellow's headquarters. Superman finds the mouse, but none of them can get to it. And apparently the only way to get it is by picking up Plastic Man, one of the DC Comics characters on the very low end of the comic book D-list. I mean, Plastic Man is a joke. So yes, one of the lamest characters to ever grace the pages of DC Comics is going to save the day. And it is kind of amusing watching Plastic Man and Superman call each other PM and SM. I didn't realize that they were so familiar and not just, uh you know, work buddies. But Plastic Man's arm twists through the tube and kind of makes me wonder why he's called Plastic Man. I don't really know if plastic that can twist quite like uh Plastic Man does. Almost, this is more like putty or something like that. But he gets the mouse and... It's and Wonder Woman and Superman kind of fix all the controls at super speed, and then turn the machine on so we can kind of straighten itself out. And this episode is also the first appearance of the Super Friends communication rings, basically blue squares on their fingers. And after Superman and Wonder Woman fix the controls, they turn the geek back on for ten minutes to fix everything, and all of a sudden, Goodfellow has learned his lesson. Human life is better off without the geek, and, you know, they need to use their brains to figure out things for themselves and to live uh, meaningful lives. They just can't have everybody else do everything for them, especially if it's a machine. And also in a fun note, uh, I think Batman says all of the board uh, families were starting to get on each other's nerves. And that happens. You know, you spend uh, too much idle time with uh, somebody else and you're bound to get on each other's nerves for whatever reason. So, As that was done, Wendy made lunch and the table was moving by itself. Apparently, uh, one of the dogs underneath it kind of pulling. Nobody saw his feet, so made it look as though the uh, table was moving in automated fashion. You know, this episode kind of added to the tired trope of machines that making people lazy. And again, I think I'm going to keep harping on the fact that I think these episodes are too long. This probably could have been half the length, of just as good, or better. But I'm going to take a quick break, play another podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with The Weather Maker. Hang around, folks.
0: Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members such as
2: Martian Manhunter, Batman,
0: Dr. Fate,
1: Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel,
6: Rocket Red, Captain Atom,
0: Mr. Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International Blah ha ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
1: Want to make something of it? Alright, welcome back folks, we're going to head right into The Weathermaker, which is the broadcast date was September 29th, 1973, and our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. In Florida, Marvin finds a swimming pool is frozen. The area's climate is changing, causing emergencies. Wonder Woman saves a ship from a hurricane and helps Superman save a vessel from icebergs. While investigating with Batman and Robin, Wendy and Marvin notice a figure who apparently is controlling the weather. The heroes follow in the Batmobile three suspects who escape. Wendy suggests getting information to find the pattern, so the Super Friends collect weather data, pinpoint sources of the the disturbance, and while the other Super Friends continue handling emergencies, Batman, Robin, Wendy, and Marvin find a ship near a water spout, which has a nozzle apparently causing the weather trouble. When Wendy and Marvin accidentally are left on the boat, they are found by the figure they had spotted.
6: But why are you shifting the Gulf Stream?
1: Young lady,
3: did you ever hear of the country I come from? Glacier? Glacier? It's way up in the Arctic. And we have horribly cold weather all year round. So cold that we can't raise enough crops or cattle to feed ourselves. Let me show you.
6: Gee, that's terrible. You poor people.
3: Shifting the Gulf Stream will give my country a nice climate. We'll be able to have agriculture and animal husbandry. We'll be warm. But we'll be cold. That's not our concern.
6: That's a fine attitude. It's very selfish.
3: Did you care about us?
6: We never heard of you.
3: And if you had, would you have helped us? We would have tried to. Ha! Our super friends are very powerful. That's why I'm moving my Jetstream stream engine. They've been looking for me to stop me, not help
1: me. He moves the boat so the Super Friends must search again to find it. Aquaman Sea Friends have located.
6: Goodness, you're safe.
1: Did you find anything? I've found what we're looking for.
0: Someone has put a jet nozzle near the bottom to divert the Gulf Stream. It connects with a boat on the surface. Where is the boat? About 25 miles, just over the
4: horizon. That's where we'll find those three men. We'll see. How can shifting the Gulf Stream cause this change in weather?
0: Till now it was the Gulf Stream which warmed America's southeast coast, especially Florida. If you shift it away, what was warm gets
2: cold, and what was cold gets warm. If those three men are doing this, why? That's what we've got to find out.
3: To the super friends, to the super friends. Distress calls are coming from all over the Atlantic seaboard. Immediate help is needed at the Panama Canal. An oil tanker has run up on one of the locks. At 48 degrees north, 67 degrees west, a fishing boat has been driven on the rocks and is now being pounded by hurricane winds. Help must reach it within the hour or all will be lost. Can you help? I'll take the Panama Canal.
2: I'll help the fishing boat.
1: And the scientist sets the nozzle irretrievably on. Watching Wonder Dog makes Batman think to have Aquaman shift the nozzle to point down, and Superman push the tubing into the ground. This stops the Gulf Stream from being shifted.
2: The jet nozzle is buried in the sea
0: bottom! The jet stream is stopped! You've
3: ruined everything! My country will starve!
6: But sir, I promised you that the Super Friends help people! We don't harm them.
3: You've already harmed them.
5: Perhaps not. Look at this temperature gauge. It's the water outside.
3: What's happening? Why why is the water
4: getting warmer?
5: I think, sir, that you've invented a very powerful water jet drill. It's drilled into a geothermal pocket. A it? Heat below the Earth's crust, which can be used to warm glaciers climate. You're
3: right. You're right. That never occurred to me. I
5: told you the super friends help,
3: people. Thank you, thank you very much. You have saved my country and my people. With your help, this is what Glacier has become. Warmth, brought from far below the Earth, has given my people farm and grazing land. How lucky for us you thought of burying the jet nozzle in the ocean bottom.
0: Actually, people learn not only from people. We can also get good ideas from animals. That idea occurred to me when I saw Wonder Dog looking down that
1: hatch. Alright, so this is our global warming episode, I guess. Uh, the weather is uh, getting screwy all over the world. I mean, I'm, I hesitate to call our frozen swimming pool in Florida a global warming event, but this episode is going to teach the uh, younger viewers how ocean currents can affect the... Uh, the weather in certain places. For instance, the Gulf Stream, which comes out of the Gulf of Mexico, will warm up Florida while a stream from the north would bring cooler weather along with it. So it's, it's an interesting look at what causes the weather in an episode that, you know, a young kid can grasp very easily. So we start off with Batman and Robin are going to join Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog on their summer vacation. And uh, we're, apparently wherever they are, they don't announce it right away where... The Junior Super Friends are, but we do find out later that they're in Florida. It looks tropical, and Florida, while not completely tropical, does have the very tip of the Keys uh, dips into the uh, tropical zone. But it's hot down there during the summer, and the only times I've been to Florida have been during the summer, and it's always been hot and muggy. So we get next, we get a shot of two evil-looking guys in a motorboat, and they, you know, they're kind of amusing themselves. Apparently, the man with the goatee has some kind of device that, while it doesn't affect the weather it does affect the jet stream. So now, uh, at least I thought when I made this note that it was a jet stream, it might have been the stream in the ocean. But either way, he's using it to affect some kind of stream to alter the weather. He does go out to stress that mankind cannot actually alter the weather, but they can alter some of these streams that will bring weather changes with them. Again, you know, he's not really a villain in the true sense of what you would think a villain is. He's trying to do right by his country, but like so many others before him, he's doing it in the wrong way. So now that with Batman and Robin visiting them, uh, Marvin falls into the pool, which has since defrosted. You know, that's kind of like when you uh when you're a kid and you tell your father that the doorknob on uh, your door it doesn't necessarily have to be a doorknob, but anything you could tell you can tell dad that just that something is broken and it always seems to not be broken when they take a look at it, making the kid look like the crazy one. But fortunately uh for Marvin and his sanity, there is a block of ice behind him, which does indicate that there was some ice here. It was a huge block that I can't really imagine what size the block was in the 36 degree multi the uh, small wheel pool. So now it's getting cold in the ocean and uh, icebergs are bounding into each other. So now we uh, meet Colonel Wilcox for the second time and he works at the weather service. So I don't know if Colonel Wilcox actually works at a weather service or if it's just convenient for this episode. My guess is going to be that it's convenient for this episode and that the Colonel works for some kind of U.S. intelligence agency or the military. So we're going to see that Wonder Woman's plane will cut through a hurricane as she searches for an ocean liner. Which is caught in the hurricane, and her invisible plane is pretty fast. That she can fly fast enough that it can dispel a hurricane. Superman and Wonder Woman have, have all, also coupled some ice together to uh, save a battleship. A nice bit of teamwork which is Superman and Wonder Woman. You don't really haven't seen much of uh, them interacting in the first the handful of episodes, but they are here, and it's good to see the super friends recognizing not only recognizing when they have to go out on their own, but also recognizing when you know when teamwork is required. And Superman and Wonder Woman. Definitely discovered this uh, particular meeting needed some teamwork because the uh, roadway is kind of frozen over still. So Batman and Marvin will now discuss ocean currents and how they influence the weather. I talked a little bit about that in the uh, opening of this episode. And basically, they explained it much better in the episode, actually, how currents from the equator bring warm water, while currents from the north bring colder water. Makes sense? Moving on.
5: This is where the weather trouble is coming from, friends. I agree. It's the pattern we were hoping to find.
0: I was in the middle of that area when I saw that peculiar large cloud overhead. And that's where the water was
5: very warm. Constant strong air movement from here to here. And the temperatures were freezing below and hot higher up. Well, even if it is a pattern, what does it mean?
0: It means the Gulf Stream is shifting.
5: But there's been no earthquake or volcanic eruption to explain that shift.
0: Which means that the three men we've been
2: chasing are responsible.
0: And they're operating from somewhere in here. We'll have to search the whole area. Super friends, emergency, emergency.
5: Go ahead, Colonel Wilcox.
3: We've got a real problem at 30 degrees north and 82 degrees west. We've just learned that floodwaters caused by weather trouble have swept away the island bridge. Hundreds of animals marooned on the island are in danger. Immediate help needed.
5: Roger. I'll attend to it, Colonel. I'll rejoin you as soon as I can.
0: All right. Meanwhile, we'll begin our search of the area to find those men.
1: And this is where we learned that the map keeper is working with the criminals who, was, who are messing with the jet stream. So we still think they're criminals. We don't yet know that the uh, head bad guy is uh, doing it for the good of his country. So Robin spots somebody following them, and Batman deduces uh, it's the clerk. I'm not sure how Batman comes to this conclusion, but it could be anybody. But no pain, you know, Batman it goes right to the clerk. And, you know, he's right, but just seems like, uh, coincidental timing. So now that we've moved on from Batman's, uh, leap in logic, uh, while he's trying, while the criminals are trying to escape with the Florida map, one of them actually dives through Robin's legs. And, again, more, uh... More slapstick comedy here during uh, this fight, even without uh, Wonder Dog or either of the kids being there. So Batman will try to get the map away from the clerk, but after reaching into a mailbox, comes away with just the guy's pants. So, in addition to all the uh, slapstick, we get a cheap laugh of seeing the clerk run off in his underwear. So we learn our head bad guy is Mr. Wicker. He walks right past Wendy and Marvin with the maps, and they don't notice him at first. But they are suspicious when they saw that he was prepared for rain on a sunny day. And then it started raining.
6: Uh, he, he begs your pardon.
1: Why are you following me?
3: Us? I seem to be speaking to all of you.
6: Well, we were very surprised.
3: By whom? You! Why?
6: You seem to know exactly when it's going to rain and when it's going to stop.
3: What's so surprising about that? Weather forecasters do it all the time.
6: Except it rains when they say it won't and it doesn't when they say it will. At least they can't make instant predictions, like you do. It's
3: just a matter of having more sensitive corns. I have a right to my privacy. If you people follow me again, I'll call the police.
4: (laughs) What are you so happy about? We're gonna lose him.
6: And I think he's very suspicious.
4: Mm -hmm. What's on your mind, Wonder Dog?
6: (laughs) Marvin, Wonder Dog is a dog.
1: You know, now that's something. I worked uh, security uh, a long time ago. It feels like another lifetime ago when I was in college and before I got my first job in journalism. One of the things we were trained to look for was people who were not dressed for the weather. You know, granted, it's not as hot as Florida, but, you know, in New York in the summer, it gets hot, you're wearing shorts. If I saw a guy wearing a big winter coat on that same day, you know, that would be suspicious. But, you know, to see... I must say that I guess they've never been to Florida before because, you know, it just starts raining uh, kind of on a whim and then stops suddenly. That's Florida weather. That kind of of thing happens constantly in Florida. It happens every time I've gone. So Wicker threatens to call the police if if the junior super friends keep following him. But, you know, he does specify that a dog shouldn't follow him. So they send the Dog after him and he traces him to the docks and he actually converts his car into a boat. But before I move on, let me talk about the ridiculousness of this statement. Mr. Wicker said if they followed him, he would seek out a restraining order. My guess was the dog was implied, but I guess since he didn't specify that the dog could f- couldn't follow him, they figured it was okay to have the dog follow him. I know, it doesn't make much sense, but there it is. So Aquaman has a special assignment in the Mid-Atlantic. He's diving deep in the water, and he's trying to find some info on co- some cold water seaweed that's moving north and contaminating the ocean. So in <clears throat> addition to all the other problems that go going on in the ocean, now we're dealing with poisonous seaweed, too. So, we're treated to an extra long scene of Aquaman saving dolphins from the seaweed. And and this time, we need a bunch of narration to basically translate what the whales and Aquaman are saying, because we're getting a lot of uh, Aquaman's telepathic signals as specifying from the wavy lines that emerge from his head. But since we're seeing the nonverbal communication between Aquaman and the whales, this is where we need... ...the narration to tell us what is being said. We don't need the narration to tell us what's going on on the screen... ...but if a translation is to be had, then that's a good time for the narrator to do it. So, when Aquaman does show up, he does some pretty impressive dives to land at the planning meeting. I mean, he comes out of the water, He just like... He's airborne and just lands right at the meeting, almost as if he were flying. So, the heroes are collecting data and they're sending it back to Wendy and Marvin. Superman will check out uh, air pressure, which is falling... Aquaman is checking the water temperature and it's rising. And apparently in June, it's freezing at street level, but higher off the ground, and the temperature is a little higher, which is the opposite of the way it would work naturally. Uh, The temperature is warmest on the ground, while the temperature is thinner as the atmosphere thins a little bit. And Wonder Woman is checking wind velocity. I'm not necessarily sure what all this adds up to, but the super friends are going to tell us in a minute, as they found the localized phenomenon, and since there was no natural reason for it to be so, They assume it's because of the men they were following. Another leap in logic, but it does advance the story. This could have been anybody uh, doing this stuff to the weather. I'm not sure why Batman was so sure that it was the people they were following. Maybe he just wanted to feel like he wasn't wasting his time. But then we get another mystery that there's a water spout in an area where the air is still. And this is when Aquaman finds that a jet nozzle in the water connected to a boat is causing the trouble. And we know this as Aquaman flies out of the water spout. And this is where we learn the effect that the Gulf Stream has on Florida. But the Super Friends have no idea why the stream is doing what it's doing. So now there are more boats in trouble. Aquaman and Superman tend to that, while Batman goes to the ship that Aquaman found. While Batman goes to the ship that Aquaman found. Of course, the bad guys get away, and for some reason, the clerk from the map room still has no pants on. You'd think he'd find a change of clothes at some point. Batman and Robin are so focused on chasing them that they leave Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog on the other ship. And of course, that's their own fault, as they were told not to leave the bad boat. And that's when they are caught. 30 minutes in, we still have no idea why he's doing this, although we do know that he is low on nuclear material. Now, it does take a while, but Batman and Robin finally notice Wendy and Marvin and the dog are gone. You know, nice uh, keen uh, observational skills from our dynamic duo. So now he's in Panama finishing up. Superman just kind of pushes the ship that's stuck back into the water. And now at this point, I'm kind of wondering what happened to Wonder Woman. And uh, she seems to have disappeared from the episode after it mentions that she has to go save some animals. So, here we go. We're finally getting an explanation. Our villain is from Glacia near the North Pole. And apparently, it's too cold to live there, basically. No agriculture, because it's so icy. So, instead of selling someplace livable, these people, if they're even in such a country of Glacier, the show will indicate that there is. And when I wonder if there's a such place as Glacia, I'm not talking about in the real world. I know this place does not exist in the real world, but apparently it does exist somewhere in the DC Comics universe. So, basically, uh, Wicker's plan is to steal the heat from others. And Batman and Robin eventually attract the criminals to a government facility, and they walk up the wall in the style of the Batman 66 TV series. And when they get inside, they go up the stairs. It's only 50 floors. Yeah, yeah, Robin, thanks. That would kill me, and probably a bunch of people that I know. So, take the elevator next time, gents. That's all. Batman and Robin capture these two guys who are stealing nuclear fuel, and Robin actually hits a button that says, to call the police. I guess he couldn't think of 911, he just needed to see the button that said to call the police. Talk about on the nose. So meanwhile, the tugboat is gone, and here's Wonder Woman. She's finished with the animals, creating a bridge to help some goats. You know, it just seemed an inordinate amount of time for Wonder Woman to just disappear from the episode. Again, if this is shorter, she wouldn't be able to disappear for as long as she did. So Wendy tries the morality play, pointing out that uh, the Glacier will only pay the price, because since we're all on the same planet, basically what affects one... uh, People on one side of North America affect the other. It's a very logical argument, but Wickers doesn't want to hear it. So, his plan goes on. Aquaman is still searching for the boat while the viewer gets an education on all the different kinds of whales as they as they swim by. I'm not going to nearly try to name them all. I just don't have the patience to go back and scrub through all that. See which one came first, and ugh, what a pain that would have been. So, the, uh, the dolphin, which is also a kind of whale, just a smaller one, gives Aquaman the location for the ship. Meanwhile, Wendy is still preaching cooperation, but Wicker was resisting. It's almost to the point where you wonder if there's another motive there between that makes him want to actually get the ransom and nothing else. You so would think saving your home would be a small price to pay. So here the Super show up and in response, Wicker sets the machine to irreversibly on. Because that's a setting it needs to have. It almost reminds me of Spaceballs, where they eventually set the uh, ship they're on to ludicrous speed. So, they all look for ways to shut the machine, and they're not having any success as all their efforts fail. Aquaman couldn't plug it, and Superman couldn't disconnect the tube. So, they come up with a new solution, because, you know, again, we've gone through this trope of you using your head, and thinking your way through problems, and not using your fists. And, it's a simple solution, that Batman is giving suggestions for the muscles to execute. Seems like a modern trope, where Batman just knows what to do in every situation. And by Superman and Aquaman doing what they were doing, they... I hope they warm up by finding a heat pocket. So, isn't warming this country near the polar ice caps going to contribute to climate change? I mean, it's a polar country, and now it seems temperate. That's quite a change, and the uh, nature has to balance itself out somewhere. I just hope it wouldn't be anywhere that I live. Just saying. I mean, this is the type of thing that can have lasting changes. So, that's that one. I'll admit, these long episodes are very draining, and I'm just a quarter of the way through, and I'm already looking forward to some of the later seasons where the show gets a little more segmented. Next time, I'm going to cover the next two episodes of Super Friends for Season 1, Dr. Pelagian's War, and the Shaman Yu. If you'd like to write me an email, uh, feedback is always welcome, screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just hit Man Screen Podcast, to your search feed, and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man So, until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted. they original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen podcast.